Okay, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm your host, David Lovell, and delighted to say joining me for this week's episode is... Now, let me see if I get the pronunciation correct. I'm, I'm pretty... Well, I wouldn't say I'm confident, but I've, I've done a couple of uh, requests uh, for this gentleman before on my radio shows. So I think I know how to pronounce it. I should have probably checked before we start recording, but Richard Becerra. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, Richard Becerra. How, how are you doing, Richard? Good. How are you, David? Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. Yeah, good to have you on. So you haven't done much in the way of podcasting before, but you were t- saying before we started recording that you have actually uh, contributed to uh, Wade Keller's. Was it a podcast, yeah, a did bit. you say? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, he, I listened. I used to listen to Wade all the time. Uh, I don't know why I stopped, to be honest with you, but uh, I did uh, listen to his show quite a bit, and I was able to be a correspondent a few times for uh, some live events and, and a TV tape. I think it was a SmackDown TV taping. And uh, and I've said some stuff to Dave over the years, but nothing nothing really major. So this podcast obviously is all about how you became a fan in the first place and how your sort of fandom has evolved. So if you were to go back to the very beginning, uh, what would be your earliest memory of, of wrestling? Um, I kind of went. I've kind of gone back in recent years to kind of try to remember that, and I think I can trace it back to about the spring of nineteen eighty. I uh, just turned uh, 50 here a few months ago, so some of these days will be quite old. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was probably April or so of 1980. I don't know if you're... Uh, it was George Championship Wrestling. So you were, what, 9 or 10 at this, at this point? Uh, yeah, I was about 9, I would say. Um, and I, I grew up on the Texas border. We're about three hours down the road from San Antonio, Del Rio, Texas. And so, at the time, it was kind of the height of the territory era, right? And so Texas, being as massive as it was, was kind of segregated into these, into you know Dallas and Houston and um, Amarillo. I think Amarillo had kind of died off by that point, but you know San Antonio had Southwest Championship Wrestling. But Georgia was the one that kind of first caught my attention uh, on TBS and uh, Gordon Soley and, and all the stars of that of that period, as you can imagine, Dusty Rhodes and. Oh gosh, Piper and, and the Freebirds. I remember watching the Freebirds debut on, on Georgia Championship Wrestling. So, I mean, they, they had a who's who of, of talent at the time. But that was kind of the first thing that I really remember was Georgia Championship Wrestling. And then not long after that, it was Southwest Championship Wrestling, which was more local. It was based in San Antonio. So, and I think they kind of partnered up with Houston, the Houston office and Dallas a little bit. And they had a lot of big stars at the time, you know, for for South Texas. So that was really kind of my introduction to it. This was before, uh, I guess it was about a year or so before World Class really kind of blew up. Uh, I think their syndicated show started in 1981. So it was about a year before that. So once we got World Class, that's when, you know, I think it really, my fandom really kind of took off. You know, the boys were just kind of breaking out and Fritz had kind of retired, but, you know, the show was so different you know, you have music and rock music and girls and, you know, the, the Von Erichs obviously look a lot different than Dusty Rhodes. So, yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was an interesting uh, time. So, yeah, it was fun, man. Uh, good memories of, of the early years of, of watching wrestling. So the next question is, you know, which wrestlers captured your imagination as a kid? So initially it would have been guys like Dusty, as you mentioned, and the Freebirds. But then was it really the Von Erichs that 
you know really grabbed you at, at a young age? Um, I, I think so. I mean, watching Georgia early on because it was a studio show, it wasn't really about the matches, right? It was all promos, pretty much. And so it was guys like Dusty and uh, Bill Eadie, the mass superstar. Mm -hmm. I remember he really jumped out at me. You know, he was so serious in, in his tone and his in his voice and Ole Anderson, those guys. And when I started watching World Class, it was it became more about the matches and the the caliber of the matches. So I would say early on it was Dusty and then the Von Erics, but kind of the, the the thread throughout both of those territories was probably Flair. So I right. looking back on it now, I, I would think it was probably Ric Flair that kind of jumped out at me. Uh, at a young age, you know, Harley was the champion, was world champion when I first started watching, but yeah, it was 81, I think, when Rick kind of took the title and kind of took the mantle, and so, you know, Flair was on everything, Flair was on Mid-South, Flair was on, uh, you know, World Class, and he would hop on in Georgia, so he really came off as, as the top guy in, in whatever wrestling was to me at the time, you know, I wasn't following AWA or WWF at the time, so... You know, Flair was the world champion. Like Harley was the world champion. You know, like Dusty was the world champion. So I would say it was Flair, really, that it kind of permeated, you know, their early years. So when did you sort of become, I mean, when did you start to watch WWF? Would that have been around the time of, like, the first WrestleMania, sort of the mid-80s, or? Um, I, I, let's see. I, I don't remember exactly when they got on USA, because Southwest was on USA first. Uh, in 1983 or 84, and then they got booted off for whatever reason. And I, I'm not sure if that's when Vince got it or not, but uh, it would probably have been right before, um, right before uh, WrestleMania one. I guess the year before, um, the feud with Piper. I think it was, or going leading into the feud with Piper. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly what was going on, but I don't remember watching Bob Backlund as champion. Uh, if that if that helps, but I, yeah, it was probably. Probably Hogan, right? In the yeah, first year of Hogan's reign. Yeah, because Hogan won it from Sheik in, I think, what, 80, 84 maybe? Yeah, so, yeah. 84, yeah. yeah. So what was the first live show that you attended? Uh, the first show that I attended that I can remember was, I think it was 1981. It was a Southwest Championship Wrestling show. And like I said, I, you know, where we grew up, you know, Delray was kind of a spot show for, for Southwest Championship Wrestling. We'd get wrestling maybe twice a year. Um, and for years, it was a Southwest uh, stop. And once World Class started syndicating, uh, you know, obviously we started watching World Class back, you know, Del Rio. So Del Rio became a stop for World Class Wrestling. But at the first show that I really remember, have any memories of, is Southwest Championship Wrestling. It was, I want to say, in the early months of 1981, it was uh, Wahoo McDaniel and Abdullah the Butcher were in the main event of that show. And we we still laugh about it because I didn't actually get to finish watching the match. I was about 10, or give or take, 9 or 10, going on 10. And my mom had taken me to, to the matches. And my sister, who was a couple years younger than me, she was probably going on 8, uh, was just along for the ride. And so about, I would say, three-quarters of the way through the show, we get the announcement that Abdullah and, and Wahoo are, have to get to the ring now because they're, they're fighting in the back, and they have, we have to get this match to the ring now. 
and of course the you know place is is pretty sold out pretty packed and everybody's standing on chairs and i'm 10 years old trying to see what's going on and i can hear screaming and hollering and finally i get a glimpse of wahoo and, and abdullah who are beating the, the snot out of each other and they're both obviously covered in blood you know this is 1981 texas wahoo mcdaniel and abdullah the butcher so you can imagine that um and i'm enthralled right i'm excited uh my sister however was horrified and again she's eight years old so i don't exactly fault her for that but she's horrified at the sight of these two men looking like they're going to kill each other and uh so she bails out of the building she leaves the ringside area she leaves the building screaming in, in just complete terror and you know of course my mom you know follows suit right so she has to chase her out of the building and uh at some point, a few minutes into it, I'm realizing that I'm alone and that, you know, my mom's gone, my sister's gone, I'm here alone. So I was like, I better go find them, find them before they leave me here. So uh, I never saw the end of the match. And I hightailed it out of the building and sure enough, they were in the parking lot and she was trying to console her and it was a, it was a lot of drama. But that was the first kind of match, the first card that I really remember going to. Uh, was that 1981 Wahoo and, and Abdullah? So I always got a lot of affection for those guys. Um, but uh, yeah, we mainly got world class stuff in in my early years. So yeah, world class wrestling kind of came around not too long after that. But uh, yeah, those were those were fun times. So from sort of 1980 when you when you first sort of started watching wrestling through to today, yeah. which is what 30? No, sorry, 41 years. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever stop watching at any point? Did you ever sort of completely lose interest in wrestling? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it was at, when Flair left for uh, WWF in 1991. Right, yes. Yeah. It was the beginning of... I did see the Royal Rumble in 92, so I did remember um, when he went over there, because it was exciting, right, that uh, uh, he was finally going to wrestle Hogan. And so you I remember... Sorry, you were more of a WCW guy than a WF guy at that time, then, yeah, really, yeah, or? yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, I started watching Georgia, and that transitioned into Jim Crockett's promotion when when they took over TBS in eighty four, eighty five, whatever it was. And uh, so I was I was NWA all the way, you know. Um, so and uh, it was and obviously at that time there were radically different styles, right? Um, so, but yeah, when Flair got there, I was excited. I was excited to to see what was going to happen when he wrestled Hogan. And I went to one of the first house shows uh, that they actually wrestled at in Austin. By this point, I'm in, I'm in college and I'm living in Austin. So I went to go see an arena show in Austin in the fall or maybe the winter of 1981. I think it was, it was Hogan and Flair on top. Uh, actually, I think they went on. I don't think they went on last. I actually think they went on kind of in the middle of the show, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I got to see that. But that—that's when Flair left. I kind of started to lose interest in in the WCW thing, and WWF was never really my my favorite style of wrestling, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course, I was like I said, I was twenty twenty one. I was you know getting older. I was losing interest in in pro wrestling. I was you know away in another city, and I kind of started to get into music a lot. And so my my interests just were just waning, and 
and they were changing, and and so yeah, it happened. It was quite a bit. Ninety two, I say, to ninety ninety seven, I guess probably. So for a good five years during you know what I know a lot of people are not fond of that period. Maybe I, I maybe I missed out on a, on a kind of the best period possible, but. You're, you're um, certainly not the first person to say they, they, they stopped watching in the early 90s and, and didn't start watching it again until really the height of the Monday Night Wars, which is what yeah, 90, yeah. 97 I mean, was, really. Yeah, I think it was 97, because uh, I was, like I said, I kind of would peek in periodically when Raw debuted, when Nitro debuted. I saw Luger come out for the first time on Nitro. Yeah, there were times when I would kind of peek in and see what was going on, and... Uh, when I was I was still in school by in '97, and I was spending a lot of time in the computer lab, so I started you know looking for all this stuff on on this wonderful internet, and I started you know looking for all this stuff, and pro wrestling was one of them, and so I got to the new sites, and I, this is right as Montreal had just happened, um, so that really piqued my interest. Uh, so I think that might have been the first time I ever heard the name Dave Meltzer, I think. Um, but it was right around the time that Montreal happened that it kind of like caught my attention again, like, wait a minute, what's going on there? Because, you know, back when I was growing up, Vince certainly never acknowledged any other promotion and, and, you know, Crockett never acknowledged any other promotion. Bill Watts wouldn't, but that's Bill Watts. But, but, you know, it was very rare. So you watch either show, Nitro or Raw, and they were both acknowledging that they were in a battle with each other and so that was that piqued my interest but it was montreal that kind of i think kind of really brought me back in like what's going on you know like this is not normal you know that a backstage story has become the primary focus on of the of the programs right so i, I think it was 97 in 97 into early 98 um where i really got kind of got pulled in i was like wow and of course the show had dramatically changed from what I was watching. Now there was a lot of expletives and a lot of the sexual innuendo and so the wrestling had really changed from 92 to 97 or 98, you know, as, as you're aware of, you know, so it, it was, it was, it was getting, to me getting used to, you know, um, certainly I'm not a, a post of blue language, you know, or, or sexuality at all, but in wrestling, I just, I, I was taken aback. I didn't expect that at all, you know, and uh, I got used to it, but uh, yeah, it was like 98 was like the best time. I think both companies were really starting to peak at the time. I think, well, I think WWF was on their way and WCW peaked in 98. I saw most of the Goldberg thing in 98. So yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting time to get back into it because it was all about, you know, the Monday Night War. So what are your sort of viewing habits now? And what, what do you watch from a week-to-week basis now? Um, well, during the Wednesday night war, if it was such a thing, uh, I would watch NXT live, and I would DVR and watch AEW directly after that. I know most folks did it the opposite. But I watched both of those shows, and I still watch both of those shows regularly. Um, broad, not not so much. I mean, we're. I know a lot of people are saying that, but you know, it's kind of rough. And uh, I know that three hours is 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 rough on a lot of people. And and you know, I understand why they do it. You know, it's it's a, it's a lot of money to turn down for that third hour and more power to them. But 
it really, really makes the that show a chore. And, uh, you know, aside from just a creative, just three hours to sit in front of TV and watch anything is challenging. But, uh, you know, I'll watch SmackDown on Friday because it's, Friday's more like, kind of like family night. And, you know, the kids, I have two little girls and, and they, they take to, to Sasha and Bailey and Bianca and Roman and, you know, Brian when he was on Daniel Bryan. So SmackDown had more of the talents that the girls were fans of. So, you know, we would put the TV on, on on SmackDown on Friday nights and pay more attention to that. Um, but, yeah, Raw's kind of t- tough. But AEW, NXT, a little bit of SmackDown. I, I just don't sit down and watch it, like, from beginning to end. You know what I mean? So that's, that's kind of tough. But uh, And New Japan, uh, I watch really the kind of the big shows, um, whatever the major pay-per-views are. I forgot the last, the last one I think was Dominion. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I try to watch the the big New Japan shows. The the Road Two shows uh, are kind of tough for me because there's, I'm not really a fan of the of the all the eight man and the six man tag matches and what have you. You know, uh, I know that that's the way they do things, and it works for them, obviously, right? But uh, I mean, some of those shows I, they're just not that interesting to me. So I'll watch New Japan and I'll watch the big shows for new japan so and they're still great you know they're i know i know they're having a rough time of it right now but you know they're still able to put on some really great shows but that's probably about it i mean you know i'm not really a big impact person and uh i've kind of lost interest in ring of honor sad to say you know they i was really into ring of honor for several years but uh you know and i'm hoping they do well you know hopefully all these guys do well but yeah that's kind of where we're at right now new japan and AEW, NXT, and a bit of SmackDown on the Friday night. Yeah, a little bit. You know, it's a fun, it's probably the better show to be honest with you. Oh you know, yeah, like, absolutely. I think it's a much better show. I think Roman, since he came back, you know, what was it, SummerSlam of last year? I think it was. Yeah, um, almost a year now. But yeah, Roman has done better in the last year than he'd done in like the, the six or seven years previous to that. I mean, he really has done a great job, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's he's really ran with the ball, you know. I mean, he's he's always he's always had the great look, right? And he's always had a, a that quiet kind of charisma, especially early on with, with the Shield, you know. And I and I feel bad for him because I, I think you know a lot of fans you know really turned on him, but he was just put in a in a no win situation. I think you know, not just he, he wasn't ready. I just think you know Vince didn't see it. I think, um, you know, I don't know a lot of, for as long as I can remember, a lot of the top, or most of the top baby faces in the history of the business had that successful heel run that preceded right. it. Right, yeah. Right? Um, I mean, gosh, there's countless examples of that. And I think, you know, the way Vince, and I think his father as well, has always pushed the baby face as the top star of the promotion. And I think he wanted to kind of you know, wedge Roman into that, you know, Hogan and Cena, you know, peg or whatever it was. And it just wasn't for him yet, you know. So, I mean, they tried, you know, God bless them, they tried. You know, we went through a couple of WrestleManias where we thought this could be the year that they're going to coronate him. And they certainly they probably thought that they had, but, you know, it just didn't work out. But uh, I think he's, he's comfortable. I think having Heyman there 
is a big, big help to him uh, because a lot of this stuff he was kind of running probably just through Vance. You know, in the years before that, he was probably just listening to Vance and it didn't work for whatever reason and the fans didn't believe it. But, you know, his pairing with Heyman has been genius. And I know Cena said recently that having no fans there has helped him. And maybe that is the case. Yeah, it's, it's kind know. It's kind of ironic that they decided to turn him heel at a time when you can literally manipulate what the crowd do. You know, you can right. literally get them to cheer Roman, but yet right. they decided to pull the trigger and turn him a heel at, at this point, which I think has been the best thing for him. And they probably yeah, should have done it. They probably should have done it several years ago. Maybe when yeah. Seth turned, you know, when Seth was the one that turned heel in the Shield, maybe it should have been Roman then. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, God, that's, that's, you start another conversation with Seth Rollins. They've <laughs> oh, yeah. The absolute opposite of what they've done with Roman, basically. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. I don't think those those guys have ever really caught fire at the same time. You know, and even going back to when Dean was there, or Moxley was there, um, you know, it was always about Roman. And even when it was failing, you know, time after time, and, and you know, I don't want to say failing. It just wasn't working for him. You know, he, he obviously still is a main event star, I mean, a caliber star, certainly capable of handling himself at that level. But it just, you know, the fans just were not buying it. And, um, you know, it's it's too bad because he, he's a talented guy, as we've seen now. And he, I just think he's he's in the right role for him now. And I know the plan is eventually to turn babyface. And I really hope that that's a couple of years down the road because they can really run with this guy uh, in, in this position. I mean, they can't, you know, keep him unbeaten forever, but, you know, he's in a good spot right now and he's, and he's running with it. He's doing a hell of a job. The next set of questions are called rapid fire, but they, they're really not rapid fire at all. But uh, favorite wrestler of all time. Now, can I guess on this one? Sure. I'm going to guess it's going to be Ric Flair, but are you going to surprise me? Um, I don't know. No, probably not. I mean, I think it was probably it's probably Flair. Um, I I think it as I got older when I got back into it in '97 and '98, it was very quickly Steve Austin. Um, right. I remember yeah. Steve watching Steve at the tail end of '89 in Dallas in World Class. Did you see the potential Grant. even then? Oh yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, looking back on it now, when I watch some of the world class matches, they're not that good, uh, or he, they're not that. But he's just—you could tell—he's—he was just something about him. I thought the same thing about Mick Foley yeah. at the time. He was Cactus yeah. Jack, actually. Uh, I remember seeing Jack in world class, and he was a guy that I probably saw more in than Steve at the time. Um, Steve looked like he was going to be, you know, a Rick Rude type of character, right? Um, Jack reminded me a lot of Mark Lewin, Maniac Mark Lewin, mm-hmm. you know, at the point where he was like, man, I'm not, I know this is a work, but, you know, this guy might be that crazy, you know, and he was just a tremendous talent, even, I'm talking about Cax Jack, Mick Foley, at, at that time in his career, which is, what, four or five years in his career, he was, uh, he was outstanding, but so was Austin, Austin, I could see it, um, clear as day that he was going to be a star. I could see him. When he got to WCW, it wasn't surprising. You know, a guy like Undertaker, when I saw him at World Class, now that one I did not peg at all. <laughs> you know, uh, he wore a mask in World Class, but when he was Mean Mark... Oh, yeah, he was... Was he Texas Red at that point? Or was he the Punisher? He was, he was probably both. 
Right. Uh, I, I want to say he might have been Punisher for in Memphis, uh, and he was Texas Red for sure in World Class. Right. Yeah. But I, I definitely did not see that in him. Well, you can then. kind of understand. I mean, I, in a way, you can kind of understand what Ole Anderson was coming from because. Right. He obviously he famously said in what nineteen ninety that Mark Mean Mark will never draw any money. Which right, to be right, fair, right. Mean Mark probably wouldn't. But as soon as he got the Undertaker gimmick, it was the yeah. perfect it was the perfect gimmick for him. It it, it it turned out to be. When I first saw Taker debut in uh what was it, Survivor Series, um in ninety I saw him and I immediately recognized him. And I thought, come on. So that's Mean Mark from WCW. He's like, <laughs> he didn't do anything in WCW. He's, you know, they had me convinced that this guy was just, I don't want to say a bum, but he was nothing special. And I'm like, how is this guy going to be a zombie, you know, zombie type of character and, and you know, be a star? And uh, boy, was I wrong, you know. Um, I think Triple H said that, you know, a, a lot of people could have, you know, worn the costume, but only Mark Calloway could have been The Undertaker. And he was exactly right, you know, and, and, and kudos to him. He's transcended, you know, years and, you know, the decades, and he's as big today as, he, as he's ever been, probably. And, um, yeah, he's, he's just one-of-a-kind talent. But I certainly didn't see it at the time. In 1989, 1999, no way. You know, Austin and, and Foley, for, yes, I could see that. And even Shawn Michaels, um, I saw Shawn in his first year in Texas, and I could see, ah, oh, he's, I thought, wow, really? This guy? <laughs> you know, I had seen him kind of get his start in, in Texas and then go to the AWA. And, and I didn't I didn't see that then. I mean, I, I knew he was a good talent, you know, but wow. Talk about a guy that just exceeded expectation. No, absolutely. Uh, favorite match of all time? What would you choose for that? Um, the favorite, My favorite match that I of mine is probably and I go back and forth but I would say it's probably and it's a Ric Flair match but it's a Ric Flair and Terry Funk uh, the I Quit match from oh, yeah. Yeah. in November of 89 it's, it's probably my favorite match that, that's probably the one that I've gone back and I've watched repeatedly uh, favorite match I ever saw live was is The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels uh, yeah, it was May 25 in Houston so that was the best match that I, I and still to this day that I've ever seen live. But yeah, it's probably between those two, uh, Flair Funk and, and Taker and and, uh, and Sean. You know, but there, I mean, there's a lot. You know, especially in more recent years where the level of work has just gone through the roof. You know, but uh, yeah, it's probably those two. I would say Okada Chibata is another one. I take it you were a big fan of the Flair, the Flair, the Flair Steamboat matches as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I didn't, I didn't see them originally in uh, in Crockett in the early '80s. Um, so by the time I kind of started to watch, by the time we got Crockett promotion here in Texas, Ricky had already left, so he was in the WWF. So I didn't really get to see them during their first run together. And so when they hooked up in 89, yeah, 
I remember those matches, tremendous, just tremendous. And, uh, you know, they still hold up. You know, all three of those matches hold up. You know, I wish I could go back and watch watch them in the late 70s and the early 80s. But, you know, I can't imagine that they were much better than the 89, the 89 series. Flair says that they were, but I, I can't imagine. So, yeah, those, those matches were, were tremendous. But, yeah. Because I've had that discussion with people before on the podcast that, Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that Omega Okada is like a modern day equivalent of Flair and Steamboat? Oh, uh, wow. I, yeah, probably. I don't see what else would get close to that. I can't imagine, you know, what other series of matches would get close to that. I, I would say so. Okada and Omega were the best matches that I've seen in recent years. Um, I, Okada is right up there. Okada might be the best wrestler i've ever seen mm-hmm. you know for me for my money and, and i love rick flair and harley and all these guys sean's tremendous but okada might be the best wrestler i've ever seen and that covers like i said 40 years you know when, for a big match uh there are a few that are they're as good as he is and that's with shibata that's with you know obviously tanahashi with kenny you know he just had a great match with shingo it wasn't you know the greatest match in the world, but it was very, very good. Um, yeah, so I, I think Okada and Omega comes closest. You know, um, I can't see, I can't really think of another series of matches. I didn't really follow All Japan that closely in the '90s when Misawa and Kobashi and, mm-hmm. and Tawa, those yeah. guys were were at their peak. Um, but I would say so. Yeah, Omega and Okada are probably about as close as you're going to get. The best show you've ever attended live. So you, you say you went to WrestleMania 25. Yeah. Did you go um, to um, 17 as well or not? I did not. I had the opportunity to go to 17. Uh, I was working in, in Austin at the time, and a friend of mine that I worked with said, hey, we have a ticket to WrestleMania 17. You know, do you want to go? And I said, well, yeah, I want to go, but I, I got to work Sunday. And I, and I tried and I tried, and I could not get out of it. And I told him, man, you're going to have to find somebody else. I can't go. And, uh, damn, you know, I, what a show, but, uh, what a show to miss, but I did, I got four of them, 25, 30, 32 and 34, two of them were New Orleans and just the perfect host city for WrestleMania. And the, the, probably the, the best of those easily was WrestleMania 30. Right. Cause I, um, the, in, I think the last two podcasts I've had Damian Gonzalez and right. Justin Payne both on who both went to that show and both had sort of differing views on what the crowd did after taker lost a streak because mm-hmm. damien was saying that he actually witnessed people actually walking out of the building did you did you see any of that going on i i don't remember the walking out there was a lot of hostility when the three count came you know, WWE so production heavy that we're all used to the three count coming and the, the winner's music hitting, and you know it's it's very obvious who won. And as far as I remember it, when the three count came, there was no music initially. It was no. about a thirty second pause. Or even longer than that, I think. Yeah, it might have been longer than that. And and I would have my wife with me, and we kind of looked at each other like, what happened? Like, was that? Is did, did that? Did they hit three? And we didn't know because there was nothing. There was, I don't want to say you could hear a pin drop, but it was quiet in that place. And then the music finally hits. 
and the graphic pops up, and I thought, wow. I said, like, that was supposed to happen. And I was as shocked as I, you know, obviously everything pro wrestling, pretty much everything's a work. But for something that was a work, I don't know if I've ever been as shocked as any result as I was that night. And there was people that were not happy. Um, you know, I walked, I walked away from my seat because I had to go to the bathroom. And there was people, I don't, I don't know, have, have, I guess you weren't there at the Superdome, right? Even the, 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 the Superdome, there's, there's this little place where the restrooms, you wash your hands like in, almost in the middle of the room. I don't know why, and I've never seen that before. But, you know, it was a tight quarters in that bathroom, and I was washing my hands, and these guys are arguing over the result of the match. And, you know, people are, are furious that Brock won and furious that Punk didn't win the year before and furious that anybody won at all. And people were about to come to blows, and I was like, man, I'm out of here. You know, I, I, I don't know what happened, but I left. But, yeah, it was shocking, you know, for, for whatever, as jaded as we are nowadays as fans, uh, that was the last time that I really remember something that happened in ring was like, wow. But you don't think that that outcome in any way took away from, from Daniel Bryan's big moment? Do you, do you think the crowd still got behind Daniel Bryan and, and celebrated his, his victory as much as they were, as much as they would have done? Or do you think that that was in any way you know, hindered by what happened in, with the streak ending? I, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, we got there that Friday and we got to Bourbon Street, you know, late that night, Friday night, and everything was yes, yes, yes. There was kids in the street dressed like Brian and with Brian shirts everywhere. I mean, it was pretty obvious that this was the moment, right? Um, and going into that show, you know, it was rapid. We were at the Hall of Fame the night before, and every time Brian's face would come on screen, the place would you know, break out and do a yes chant. You know, I think Ultimate Warrior might have even, you know, made a joke about it. But, you know, everything seemed to be pointing about Brian. And I think when when that happened, um, you know, I, th I think I think there might have been a match or two in between. But I think by the time we got to the main event, I think the shock had, I don't want to say it had worn off, but we were ready for some happiness. You know, and we kind of all knew where, where this main event was going to end or how it was going to end. And uh, I don't think it took away anything. You know, obviously that was a great moment for Brian and uh, for the company, I think. But, uh, you know, I don't think so. I, I think it was still as euphoric as it probably would have been regardless. I would say when we walked out of the building that night, we, were, we went out to grab some pizza or whatever uh, after the show. We were going to leave early the next morning, so we were just going to grab dinner and go home or back to our room. And everybody walking out of the building was talking about the Undertaker Street. You know, at the moment Brian won, it was great. But as we walked out of the building, the conversations that I was listening to were about the streak. Like, wow, I can't believe that. It's like, wow. And, you know, people, half the people were like upset and half the people were like happy that they were there for that moment, you know. Uh, but I don't think it took anything away from Brian's night. But it was uh, the yin and the yang. Of pro wrestling for sure you know as as it should be you know as it should be i think do you think that taker should have called it a day there and then or, or do you think because obviously you were there for 34 and that was the night he came mm -hmm. back a year after right. he sort of laid everything down the ring 
after the match with Roman, he came back and had that match. We, you can't really call it a match. It was just he beat John Cena in like two minutes. But do you right. think that he should have just called it a day after 30? Um, I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say because there was there have been times where after 30 where I thought he looked better. He, he didn't look good at 33 with Roman. That was probably the the time when it, that you know when he laid him down. I, I thought, well, that's it, you know. And he, looking back on it now, uh, should Brock have been the one to end the streak? Probably, but I probably would have would have. I understand why they did it, right? And ultimately, it was again we talked about Roman earlier. I think that whole thing was about Roman, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Ultimately, Brock winning was to set him up. To eventually be toppled by the, the new babyface, right, Roman Reigns. Um, but I think that that honor, if you, if you want to say that, probably should have gone to Roman. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as you know, should Taker have, have called it a day at that time? I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say. Um, he didn't look good in that match, I'll, I'll, and he didn't look good in Saudi Arabia for either whatever it was for the Goldberg match and the DX match. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you hate to say that. Uh, then, I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a pass on that. I don't know, I don't know. But that was that was uh, a memorable night. Yeah, thirty. But can I give you another an, another answer for the best show? Oh yeah, because we never even I don't think we even got to the answer for that, did we? So yeah, what what, yeah. what would you go for for that for the best show? You uh, well, yeah, I would say thirty, but I was. Uh, at All In in September of 2018, Ooh, okay. yep. it was in Chicago. That was our first time in Chicago, and we took a we took a chance on trying to get tickets for All In, and uh, we got them. And we said, "Well, you know, let's go to Chicago then." And we had a blast. You know, I don't. You know, as much as I can remember specific moments from 30, you know, like Brian and Triple H, for example, or Taker and Brock and Brian in the main event. I don't really remember any of the matches from All In being outstanding. I mean, I'm sure they were, but it's it was just the vibe of the whole weekend and the vibe that night in the building that is the most memorable thing about the show. You know, um, like uh, you're a music guy, right? So and me too. And you know, it's kind of like seeing your favorite indie band or you know young band make it into the arenas right or the big venue right and uh that's kind of what it felt like at all in seeing all these guys that had kind of plied their trade and in front of you know 500 800 fans and then all of a sudden they're in they're on this major stage you know and it was just everybody was in a great mood the show was fun you know, I can't really say I don't have any negative really memories about the show at all. That was just a great experience. You know, I think, like I said earlier, we're all kind of jaded fans to some degree. You know, you go to a WrestleMania and you kind of think about the card and you're like, well, this guy's going to go over here or that guy's going to have to put over so-and-so there. You know, at all in, I did not care. You know, I didn't care who won. I didn't care who lost. I didn't care if the match was great or not. You know, it, that that kind of mentality just didn't, you know, get in my head that weekend. It was that night was just all about celebrating pro wrestling as, you know, this grassroots movement. 
that the Bucks and, and Cody and Kenny and those guys had, had kind of spearheaded and kind of seeing it, like I said, kind of graduated into this, you know, arena, you know, on a grand scale. And that was, that's probably my favorite thing about that show. Not, not necessarily the matches. There were good matches. I don't know if I've ever watched it back, to be honest with you. I don't know if I've ever, I know it's not available on DVD, but I don't know if I've ever even tried to watch it on YouTube. But, um, yeah, it was just, that that show and WrestleMania 30 were really special to me. Um, on a personal level, you bear with me, on a personal level, um, probably the, the most, one of the most important shows that I've, I've ever seen live was um, Ring of Honor's uh, All-Star Extravaganza. And this was September of 2015. And uh, you remember when Lethal was the world champion and the TV champion? Yeah. 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 So this was that the night that he defended the title, both titles on the same show. So he opened the show, I think, the TV title was uh, Bobby Fish, maybe? And uh, the main event was Kyle O'Reilly. But the semi-main was uh, a number one contenders match. It was AJ Styles. And that was the first time I had ever seen AJ in person. And I want to say it was Michael Elgin, Roderick Strong, and Adam Cole. And about a week or so before that, my father passed away you know, unexpectedly. Um, he was he he got he had a heart attack and he got sick and, and he was in the hospital for several days. And about a week before that show, uh, he passed away. And because we were doing a military burial for him. There was kind of, uh, we had a church service a few days after, and then there was a period where we had to wait for uh, Fort Sam Houston here in San Antonio. And for the military burial, there was a kind of a wait, like a 10-day wait, right? And so I had a lot of downtime. I wasn't work. I had kind of taken a sabbatical from work after he passed. And I remember reading that the Ring of Honor show was going to be here down the road from me, and it was going to be a pay-per-view. And AJ was going to be there, and Adam Cole was going to be there, and and you know when my dad passed away, my immediate thoughts were to my family, of course, you know my mom taking care of her and and taking care of arrangements and what have you. And my wife was kind of like I mentioned to my wife that Ring of Honor was was there, and she says, "Why don't you just go?" And I, to me, I was like, oh, "I don't feel right." I was like, "I feel like you know, like you do when you lose somebody, you feel like you should be in the morning, right?" And uh, yeah. I just didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. And so she kind of encouraged me to go, like, just get out of here and and just try to forget about what's going on. And I did. I went to the show, and I met Adam Cole that night, and I met Kyle that night, and uh, Shayna Baszler and Jessamyn Duke were here for some reason. And I got to meet them at the show. And I got a fun picture of, of the of me with the girls that Adam actually took uh, the photo for me. And, uh, you know, that was fun. And during the show, it was a, it was a good show. But during that four-way, I don't know. And, and honestly, I've never watched the match back. But at that moment, during that match, and these were four great, great guys, I kind of got lost in the match. You know, that kind of, I did. Uh, I got lost in the match. I stood up. I, I clapped my hands. I smiled. I cheered. And, you know, it was one of those moments where, you know, whatever this people may think of, whatever pro wrestling is, it's real, it's fake, it's this, it's that. 
you know, at that moment, it was everything that I needed. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that match, that moment, that feeling, I got it back. You know, I got it. I, it was the feeling that, you know, you're, you're okay. You know, you're, it's, you're, you've had a great loss and you're going to continue to feel that loss. But, you know, it's okay to smile. It's okay to enjoy something. It's okay to be happy again. You know, and this is, like I said, it was about a week or so after my dad had passed. So I've, I had a lot of guilt going into that night. But those guys were just tremendous, tremendous workers. And, and what a match that, as I remember, I don't even want to know if I want to see it again. I don't want it to disappoint me, you know. Yeah, because but, those sort of things are sometimes better left as they were, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in that moment, it was the perfect. It was the perfect night. And if you go back and watch it, you don't want to, in any way, tarnish. Well, maybe not tarnish, but you don't want to ruin those memories that you have. But yeah, wrestling. At the end of the day, wrestling is just a great form of escapism, isn't it? And and, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah, that's it was, that's. It was the escape that I needed at that moment without even realizing it. You know, uh, and they those guys gave it to me, and, and I hope that at some point I've met. You know, I've met them all. I think except for AJ. But I've never had a chance to kind of tell them that story, and I hope I get a chance to at some point. I hope, yeah. Michael, I hope Michael's doing okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, th- those guys were exactly what I needed at the right time. So and, I will be grateful for them for that. And obviously your, your wife was, was, was pushing you to go, and I'm sure that y- your dad would have been exactly the same. He would have said, look, you, you've got to go to this show. Yeah, I guess so. You know, It's funny because a few months before he passed, Dusty Rhodes passed. And right. um, yeah. my dad was not really a wrestling fan, you know, um, but I remember seeing him, uh, this, this is not about a day or two after Dusty had passed, and my dad just kind of out of the blue says, so Dusty Rhodes died, huh? And I thought that was the weirdest thing to say to me because <laughs> it was on my mind, but I never would have thought that it would be on his mind, and I never would have thought that it would have been important enough for him to mention to me, you know, and so... You know, I know Cody really had a hard time with it uh, afterwards, as, as anybody would have. And so I've always kind of felt kind of a kinship to Cody because, uh, yeah, my father passed away not long after that. But he, I remember my dad bringing that up, bringing up Dusty's name, Dusty's passing. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I hope so. I think you're, I hope you're right, you know. But, yeah, she definitely encouraged me to go, and it was the right call, you know. And at that point, I knew that it was like, all right, well, you know, we'll get, we'll, let's get up and let's get back you know, back, back at it. So, yeah, I mean, and again, crazy thing, man, pro wrestling, it's what it does for you. I'm, I'm really glad that Dusty got to that one last big feud, obviously him and, uh, Dustin and Cody against the Shield. Obviously, he wasn't yeah. actually in the match, but obviously he was on the outside and he did the, the forearm on, uh, I think it was on Ambrose, wasn't it? Um, it was on Mox, yeah, that's right, yeah. And I mean, how cool is that, you know? To probably, I don't know if he was, he might have been, the last guy to take that that big bionic elbow. I think he was. I think he was the last guy to take the elbow. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah. It, it was just great to see, and it was such a shock. Also, when Dusty passed away, I wasn't expecting it. But similar yeah. with Piper. I think Piper was around the same sort of time as well. Uh, he was. I think. I think you're right. I think. I think Roddy was like in May or something like that, or and then Dusty was like six weeks later or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, Piper for sure. Piper really caught me off guard. Dusty. Dusty, I had seen pictures of him. He, he looked like he had dropped a lot of weight, and I was right, kind of yeah. concerned. Um, but Piper was really shocking, yeah. 
The final question I ask everyone is in many ways the hardest question to answer because there's so many different ways you can answer it. And, and, and the question is, if you could change one thing about the wrestling business or you know, wrestling in general, what would it be? Is, is, is there one thing, apart from obviously changing Raw to two hours maybe, but is there, is there one thing that you, you would change if you could? Um, you know, I, I kind of listened to a couple of the shows and, you know, there, I don't remember who it was, but they kind of came with some heavy duty answers, you know, like, uh, unionization obviously is a big thing and, and scheduling and, you know, all of which are, I think are important to the longevity of the, of the talent, you know, um, I could sit here and, and complain about Vince and, you know, you, you probably wouldn't get tired of hearing that. But I don't, I don't, you know, I kind of look at it in a couple of different ways. If you don't mind, uh, uh, I kind of look at, you know, I'll, I'll talk about AEW and WWE a little bit specifically. Um, there's nothing too um, far reaching that I think it would be the best thing for the business, but maybe it would. Uh, I would probably, when I'm watching Raw nowadays, well, even before the pandemic, it just felt like the same all the time. You know, no matter what building they were in. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of think that, you know, AEW, when they kind of got on the road, they were started They started off small, as they should have, in these smaller buildings. And because of probably out of necessity, right? And, uh, and I think we're at that point with WWE where I think maybe they need to kind of go back and and uh, go, go backwards a little bit. And, and I remember in the early years of Raw, I think, they were in some smaller buildings, right? Business was waning, and they, out of necessity, really, they had to be in these uh, B, I guess, B-level arenas, I guess, or whatever. And I'd like to see it because, I mean, think about it. WWE's has chased off the majority of their far-reaching yeah. fan base, right? And the majority of, of the people that tune in still are just the hardcores, right? So if they're going to use a building that's, say, 10,000 or 15,000 seater, they're probably good chance they're going to get at least five or 6,000 people in there like pretty quickly. you know. And for me, I would be like, that's kind of the appeal of the AEW shows before the pandemic was that the crowd felt rabid mm -hmm. because it, was, it kind of felt small, you know? And I, I think that maybe WWE should kind of look to kind of getting back to that so to speak, and make the kind of bring the presentation back to a almost a, a theater level, not a theater level. What's um, I don't know. It's just like I remember the vibe in the Manhattan Center. Mm -hmm. Those yeah. those raw shows that I've seen. I didn't watch it at the time, but I've gone back and watched them. And the ECW in the Manhattan Center, kind of, kind of that sort of vibe. You know what I mean? Um, I remember years, several years ago, probably about ten years ago now. The Rolling Stones had went on tour for their 50th anniversary and in certain cities they were playing like three shows and they were doing a stadium show an arena show and a theater show right and the arena show i like it to kind of i mean the, the stadium show i kind of like it to a wrestlemania you know it was kind of all encompassing it was all the bells and whistles all the casual fans right and the arena show was a, just a smaller version of that less so probably but the theater shows, I remember Keith Richards saying that the, the theater shows for the Stones were the most fun because they could branch out and kind of do different things. And, you know, th these were your hardcore Stones fans, right? The, the 5,000 or 4,000 people that were going to go see the Stones in, in the small venue. 
And, you know, it, it, it was something about the intimacy of it. I, I kind of think that maybe WWE needs to do that, like scale back a little bit and maybe, you know, scale the, the Jumbotron down and, and maybe just a small aisle to get to the ring and kind of make it look, I don't know, kind of like almost like Gorilla, you know, TV, so to speak. Kind of make it, you know, a little different. Just we've had so many years of it looking the same. You know, and I, from a presentation standpoint, I think you get your hardcores in the room and you're going nuts, whether the show is good or not. You know, because there was a lot of shows, I'm sure, in the 90s that weren't great. But the crowd looked like they were having a blast, you know. Well, that's and, one thing. That's one thing yeah. I always liked about the Madison Square Garden shows, because when, when a guy came out, it was almost like he was coming out with the fans. You know, the fans were so close, it felt like, because of how yeah. that building is, you know, how, how the entranceway is and everything. Like John Cena, when John Cena came back for that Royal right. Rumble, um, yeah. that was such a huge reaction. And he was yeah. coming out and the crowd was right there because John Cena normally just runs right to the ring. It's not like a really long entrance and he, he runs right. to the ring. But on this occasion, he had to sort of acknowledge the fans in a way because they were right there. Well, I remember um, like, like ECW, like one of the one night stand shows and the ECW shows, you know, where they had that small little narrow walkway to the ring and right, the fans yeah. are like literally right on top of you, right? And maybe in a COVID era, you can't do it that closely, oh, yeah. right? But something where, you know, where the fans feel like they're, they're a part of something, you know, like this is whether, again, whether the product is hot creatively or not is a different story. But I think the presentation of the show if you kind of scale it back to make it more like a, almost like a, like a seeing a band in a club rather than an arena, you know, it just feels different and it feels more personal and special. I think certainly to the fans, you know, that's one thing I would kind of change about WWE is just the overall presentation of it. You know, the creative is, is what it is. And you know, that you can't really, um, you know, again, as, as long as that man's there, you know, it is what it is. But uh, from a creative standpoint, I, I would, I would, I wouldn't really go there. But just for presentation, just making it feel different, you know, uh, like AEW has. To, I think that's been to their benefit, you know. And there's some cities WWE runs where it really it makes too much sense to run the biggest building possible, right? Chicago or Houston or wherever. You know, but in some markets where you're kind of, you know, where you're kind of lean, I would go to those smaller college arenas and and just give it a shot, you know, and, and see what the vibe is like, and and just, you know, to me that's that was the great thing about All In, it was the vibe in the building, you know, because everybody that was there wanted to be there desperately, and it was just, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, that that's one thing I'd like to see changed in WWE and AEW. I mean, there. You know, I don't really have a lot of complaints about it. Um, I think the show's pretty good so far. Um, I'd, I'd like to see um, what's the word? Um, I guess I, I want to see them. I, I think they try really hard to be the anti WWE, and I think sometimes that's to their detriment. I think sometimes they overdo it or overthink it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean sometimes like the things with the blood and. And, and saying, you know, cursing for really just for the sake of it, really. in the promo, yeah. but they do it anyway, you know. Um, little things. It's not, I wouldn't say that it's anything major, 
the little things that I wish that, you know, I just wish they would just be who they are. Don't worry about taking a little insider jab at WWE or, you know, wink, wink at, at Vince or whatever, you know. I, I wish they would just, you know, forget about it. Forget about those guys and just be what they are, you know, and because they, they're, they're off to a hell to start, you know. Um, yeah, so. But that, those are probably a couple of things. Squash matches. I don't know if anybody's told you that yet. Uh, I like to see squash matches come back. That's one yeah, thing I would they, they kind of. I mean, when they were really getting behind Strowman and uh, yeah. was it Nia Jax as well? They, yeah, they, they, Jax, yeah. they started to do them a little bit, but that seems to have. Um, and I suppose a little bit when they were kind of pushing um, Lars Sullivan for that for that short. Yeah, time probably. Were, I think when, when, uh, I'm assuming the carrying cross is going to be called up soon. And I think he's a good guy to kind of oh, put yeah. in as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah. You know, um, but I, I, I just think you know we kind of got away from that. I think it was probably when Raw took off, and that was another thing that I noticed when I came back into wrestling in ninety eight, ninety seven, ninety eight, was that all these matches were on TV. You know, whereas before it was all about you know selling the arena show or or the pay per view. But you know, you wouldn't see as many main event matches on TV. And I, I think we can kind of, I don't want to say put the genie back in the bottle. I don't think we can ever get completely back there. But I think you can kind of scale it back a little bit, um, especially for like NXT or uh, SmackDown probably, where you could kind of, you know, spotlight some of these talents without having to sacrifice somebody else. Like, I, like I think, was, was it uh, Naomi that lost recently to somebody in quick fashion? Yeah. Was it I think? Yeah, the Piper, yeah, Piper Niven, that's right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and Naomi's, you know, to me, she's, she's one of the stars that you can really, you know, I don't want to say build around, but certainly spotlight, you know, and I, I just, I hated to see that. You know, I hated to see her minimized that way because they want to get this young star over, and I, I understand getting her over, you know, but I kind of wish, like, man, there's so many talented girls out there that would be willing to, to step up and, and bite the bullet, you know, to be on national TV like that. You know, I hate I hate seeing stuff like that when you know you you put that on Naomi. If you're doing like a Dana Brooke or something like that, I, I kind of get that. You know, I still don't like it, but I can kind of see her in that role. But Naomi is a person that you've pushed at times, and you put the title on her a couple of times, and you've spotlighted her in main event matches at times. So I, I just I, I'm not a fan of that. And if we had squash matches, I, I think it would help a lot. You know, spotlight talent without really having to sacrifice some of the other people, you know, which is important, I think. Well, I've done about 30 of these now, and I'm, I'm sure someone has brought that up before. I wish I could remember every single answer that everyone's given, but, uh, but yeah. I, 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 I can't, unfortunately. But, I, yeah, I'm sure that's been... That's been brought up before at, at some point. But, Richard, yeah. we, we could talk... We could literally talk all night. Um, yeah, and, probably. Uh, we yeah, uh, not just about wrestling, but about music and all kinds of things. But um, I'm going to do many more podcasts in the future, and I love to have you back for whatever I plan to do. Yeah, I'd love to be back, man. And I've, I've enjoyed your shows. I haven't, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to, to listen to your your radio show religiously, but I've enjoyed it and enjoyed the shout outs and the and the requests. And uh, yeah, we need to get together again and talk music. So. Sure. We will, Anytime. but you know, life gets in the way, and, and we, we obviously we we're very busy, you know, with work and everything else. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's great just to kick back and, and talk about the things we love, and uh, yeah, it's it's great being part of the the fight game 
podcast facebook group there's so many great folks in there who i uh, who it i'm is. really uh, thrilled to to call friends now yourself included so yeah it, it's a really great community that i'm i'm really glad to be a part of so. yeah i've enjoyed it I, i'm not as active as i as i as i'd like to be but it's been a fun place you know it's pretty you know, I've had bad experiences at different other forums and, and we all have, have, yeah. other yeah. places. I think, yeah, yeah, we probably all have. But Garrett does a hell of a job there. He, you know, he's a he's a good guy. Um, you know, I told him I, I'm I'm gonna give him a drink, buy him a drink when we hook up in Dallas next year for WrestleMania. I hope that you'll make the the trip down if it, if at all possible to uh to wrestlemania in dallas next year but uh, i would i would yeah. love to yeah we'll have to, we'll have to see whether where the world where the world is at that point you know in terms of yeah um, yeah that, that's that's a good point uh smack uh, not smackdown raw is coming to san antonio in august i think it's the go home for SummerSlam, and so we've talked about going to raw um which would be the first time we've been to a wrestling show since uh rumble of last year actually in houston uh at war rumble in houston we hadn't gone to anything, and uh, yeah, I don't know how comfortable I am going to to, to Raw yet. You know, I, I mean, we're both vaccinated here. I know the numbers aren't where we'd like them to be here in, in the states or in Texas, actually. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd like to think that things could be radically different in a couple of months. Certainly, in by this by April of next year, but who knows, man? I never would have envisioned that we'd be where we are now, but. Uh, yeah, well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's hope that uh, the travel restrictions are are uh, done done away with, and you can make it cross cross over here and uh, and join us in Dallas. I'm sure it'll be a hell of a time. Yeah, because it's great to to uh, communicate through Facebook and and through Skype, but you, but you can't beat just you know meeting people in person and and uh, hang, 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 you know, spending time around them and and getting to right. know them. There's nothing you can't really duplicate that. Or you, you you can't uh, replicate that rather through you know the power of the internet as, as great as the internet is and, and obviously zoom has been a great thing for a lot of people over the past year during the sure pandemic has. but it doesn't beat that face-to-face yeah yeah so i'm, I'm looking forward to it so. you know um i'm looking forward to wrestlemania i'm taking my kids this time and uh it'll be the first time they go so um yeah, I told Garrett we'd have to hook up and, and grab something to drink and, and have a good time. And, and Dallas is a great city for, for WrestleMania as well. Uh, lots of things to do. So, yeah, I hope I hope you can make it. I hope uh, as many people as possible in the group can make it. should be fun. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to go to Vegas for the for whatever convention they're, they're starting to plan out now. But, uh, yeah, soon, soon enough, you know, we can get things back to normal and a little bit more of the get-togethers across the country so let's hope here's hoping yeah. yeah here's hoping yeah yeah thank you thank you very much richard it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and and uh yeah no doubt we will we, we will speak again thank you i look forward to it david thank you again so for richard i'm david signing off and thank you for listening to another episode of the how i caught the wrestling bug podcast <laughs>